It's a great pleasure to return to All Souls here in Shreveport. And um, how, what a small world we live in. Not too many weeks ago, my husband and I were, early part of this month, were in New York City. And one of those Sundays, we attended a service at All Souls in New York City. The minister took some point to introduce people in the congregation, as we do so often in our churches. And one of the people that he introduced, I must remember, I must say that I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but he was a member of All Souls in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so uh, my husband and I went up to him after the service and greeted him as a fellow member of the Southwest District. And then I did mention to a few people that uh, when we returned that I would be preaching at All Souls in Shreveport. There are many All Souls churches in our denomination. And uh, the other Sunday we went to the uh, church in, in uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights. And I gather that someone is here because somebody in that congregation let them know that we were coming this Sunday to All Souls in Shreveport. It's a small world. The great religion of Islam, like all of the world's religions, is not monolithic when it comes to equality, justice, injustice, oppression. And so we find many different facets of that religion and expression relating to women. One such expression comes from the pen of a Sufi leader and poet by the name of Rumi. Rumi was a um, Sufi of the, uh, in the 12th century. And he wrote a poem that was of uh, dealing with women that is very beautiful. It's entitled, The Love of Woman. As a spiritual leader, all of his writings, when focusing on whatever they focused, whatever his, his topic, its ultimate purpose was that of connection with the Spirit and with Allah. If you rule your wife outwardly, yet inwardly you are ruled by her, her whom you desire. This is characteristic of man. In other animals, love is lacking, and that shows their inferiority. The prophet said that woman prevails over the wise, while ignorant men prevail over her. For in them, the fierceness of the animal is imminent. Love and tenderness are human qualities. Anger and lust are animal qualities. Woman is a ray of God. She is not the earthly beloved. She is creative. You might say, she was not created. It is rather ironic that the symbolic face and name 
of protest against suppression in Iran of last week is that of a young woman artist and intellectual. The West and much of the world sees the religion of Iran and that of most of modern, the modern Middle East, Islam, as rigid and oppressive of the rights of women. Neda, the name means call in Farsi, was shot by the Iranian militia a few streets from where most of the protesting activity was happening. These protesters, though acting against the stated results of the election, are Muslim, believers in theocracy, as well as the Quran. Yet these young, mostly middle-class intellectuals reached out for the face of a young woman to be the metaphor of their fight. But irony is the way of life and society. We as societies are made up of inconsistencies of belief and behavior, faith and action. Perhaps that is the way of all existence. Humankind itself is inconsistent, and thus so is all that we create. And one of the most powerful and invasive of our creations is that of religion. Religion, along with other major human creations, family, nation, governance, politics, the arts, the sciences, they are all so ingrained in our culture that we do not know where one leaves off and the other begins. All the above mentioned have merit with humankind in answering what seems to be our most important questions and also seemingly guarantee our survival. Some have had great impact on the ordering of society, which history has taught can be a double-edged sword. And so it seems that if we are to survive in the 21st century, we must adapt our institutions to the changing of the times, realizing that these institutions are imperfect. I teach about one of those institutions, religion, at Southern Arkansas University. And one of the courses that I teach within our minor for philosophy and religious studies is women and religion. All these religion courses focus on world religions, and so too with women and religion. And in that course, I attempt to demonstrate what roles and images of women exist within the development of the so-called major religions of the world. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, the teachings of Confucius, and other religions not so world-renowned. The course also stresses how modern women affected by these religious traditions are responding to the heritage and sacred scriptures 
of those religions. A few moments ago, I referred to religion and others of our institutions as being used to help to give society order. And giving society order seems to join with another task. And as so, some of those institutions, including religion, often gain power over us and society. And at times, with that power, it has attempted to make societies believe that to remove that institution from such power is a dangerous and treasonable act. For the last two centuries, and probably more, we have been engaged in that struggle. Religion even if we personally do not follow any special one or have left all that behind in our own lives, still pervades our existence and society. In our democratic nation, we still have to work tirelessly to maintain our own constitution, constitutional principle of separation of church and state. Within our nation and in the West, During the 70s, the women's movement came alive again, due to many women and events too many to detail here. But one such person and event were Mary Daly and feminist theological writings. Many writers and women theologians were inspired by her first book, Beyond God the Father. In that book, one of her main points, probably her main point, was that society, um, that, that the reason that women were secondary in our society was due to religion. And the fact that within religion, God, or what word you wish to use, was perceived as male. And how God and man perceived and treated women in those sacred scriptures of those religions that were male-oriented prescribed how women should be treated in society. This predominance of male divinity has been around for some 6,000 years. At the time when heritages of today's prominent major world religions were in the very infancy of their development. Thus, according to Mary Daly, the images of divinity needed to be changed to include the female, if indeed women were to be equally included in civilization. This movement and concept spread throughout academic studies of theology and other disciplines as well. What scholars discovered was the voices of women could not be found to be very loud in these disciplines up to that point, and thus not listened to, as well as male voices in academia. Today, in the United States and elsewhere, we have women's studies as a serious discipline, and women's voices, though certainly not as completely as we would like, are being heard in every field and study. Sometimes we, and I mean we in the United States and in the West, 
display an attitude of superiority about how we treat women as opposed to other areas in the world. And though the West, and though in the West, we as women have it better, perhaps, than most in the rest of the world, we need to learn about the reality of the rest of this planet and offer our support to the struggle of women for equality everywhere. Since the world is so focused at this time on nations that are Muslim, I'm going to present some images from that religion. A religion, by the way, that is the fastest growing religion in the world and a religion that has a very strong presence in the United States. When one thinks of Islam, when the Westerner thinks of Islam, one not too familiar with Islam, the burqa and the harem are two phenomena that often come to mind as their view of it. Of course, neither of these examples are really true reflections of the substance of the Quran. Both are interpretations by the society in which these people live of how women should be treated and what their roles should be in society. In one surah chapter of the Quran, we can find this instruction. Tell, tell believing women to restrain their looks, to guard their chastity and not disclose their natural beauty, and to draw their head coverings over their bosoms and not to display their beauty save to their husbands, fathers, the burqa is a form of dress designed in some ways to conform with the stipulations in the Quran for women to follow modesty. But in the Quran, it is, it is described for women to cover their head, shoulders, and bosoms to protect them from the eyes of men, not their husbands, or if unmarried, from all men not related. The burqa is a much more extreme concept, which, has, which was, when we first were introduced, was imposed by the Taliban, an extreme fundamentalist Islamic group in Afghanistan and other very extreme and radical areas of Islam. This is a covering that allows only for the eyes of women to be seen, the only part of her body. Afghan women were coerced to wear the burqa as opposed to the scarf on the head as worn by her in, and women in other areas. Some people here in the United States seem to stereotype any head covering worn by Muslim women as oppressive, even though many Muslim women themselves feel it is an honorable and desired article of clothing. Now, I hasten to admit and to say that the attitude that it comes from the Koran is very male and sees the role of the man as protective and paternal towards women and thus oppressive. All of the words within the Koran are assumed to be directed to men who thus tell their women what to do. That attitude seems not so modern, but 
That attitude resides within our own culture today in different forms of Christianity, as with the promise keepers. A very significant rule about women and marriage today is quite controversial among the more liberal and feminist Muslim women and usually comes into conflict with the Sharia, the dispenser of Islamic law and national law in Islamic theocracies in today's world. They are rules about marriage and divorce. A good number of Muslim women who take issue with the rules as presented by Sharia and the common culture have gone back to the Quran to find support for their positions on such questions. First, in the area of having more than one wife. A good number of Muslim women object to multiple wives, but the Muslim men are not, do not object so much, and they use what they have most, Sharia members as support in stating that Muhammad gave permission in the Quran for such practices. But let us go to the scripture and read it in its entirety to know the rule concerning more than one wife. Marry such women as seem good to you. Two, three, four. But if you fear you will not be equitable, then only one or what your right hands own. A little different. What is he saying? He is saying that, yes, you may have one, two, three, four wives, but you must follow the rules of being equitable to each of those wives, emotionally as well as financially. And if you find that you are unable to do so, then you should stay with only one. And if, as women read that, and as maybe many of us read that, common sense would say, you're going to have a difficult time with even two, let alone four. <laughs> Going back to the Quran supports the fact that Islam, like any of the other world's major religions, is paternalistic and in many ways oppressive of women. You can read it in the laws of divorce, marriage, and inheritances. But you can also see that the major teachings were a great improvement on the life for Arabian women with the advent of Muhammad. Women were victimized, uh, made into prostitutes, and prostitution is a great sin uh, within Islam. Yet, also within those scriptures, as with Hebrew and Christian scriptures and other Western so-called enlightened practices and literature, women are still considered and treated as second-class citizens. Men are the managers of the affairs of women. For that God has preferred in bounty 
one of them over another. And for that they have expanded of their property. Righteous women are therefore obedient, guarding the secret for God's guarding. And those of you who fear may be rebellious, admonish, banish them to their couches, and beat them. If they then obey you, look not for any way against them. God all high, all great. Often women who break the traditions of Islam risk more, risk everything, including their lives. Families will often seek out and murder their daughters who marry outside of Islam, move away from them, become more feminist in their actions and words. And I want to say that there is a growing feminist theological movement within Islam. This, again, is an interpretation and cultural mores. It's a combination of the interpretation of Islam merging with cultural mores, which brings about this behavior. But not all traditions are so sexist, as we looked at at the beginning when I read from the reading of Rumi. So they can go back and forth. Often, we see psychological oppression by specific fundamentalist interpretations of scriptures within Christian and Judaic culture. Today, as we watch happenings in Iran, we have very strong concerns and fears and admiration for the dissidents and those citizens who want a more caring and democratic approach to at least choose their leaders. Now, these are not people who are turning away from Islam. They are people who are educated, middle class, who use modern technology to inform, and who use such technology to communicate with one another and to let the rest of the world know what was going on when the militia and the leadership kept the press out. Among this educated middle class are great numbers of women, Muslim women, Women who want to give voice to the calls for freedom and sovereignty of citizenry of Iran. Women who are oppressed by a theocratic society and a religion that sees them as second-class citizens, and possibly even less. But they are also citizens of a nation, a nation that is not understood and often used by other Western nations to serve their own purposes. Nations who also are often under the illusion that their religions and religious outlook is more modern and more in tune with democracy. The United States as one of those nations, we as citizens need to move our nation so that we become, it becomes more aware of its own sexist, homophobic, racist and bigoted attitudes, often fostered by more fundamentalist interpretations of scriptures and our own lacking of understanding and openness to, of cultures not our own, and in this case, most specifically, Muslim. 
We, as Unitarian Universalists, need to go to our own specific scriptures that tell us that women and all of us need to address the needs of all oppressed in the world. We need to do such with intelligence, knowledge, and understanding. We need to support those fighting intolerance and to make sure that intolerance is fought on our own home ground. One of our own Unitarian Universalist sacred words come from a very beloved woman by the name of Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And in an essay when she compared the status of woman in the 19th century to that of slavery, come these words at the end. As she envisions what the future of woman and what the admiration for woman should be. The women who are brave, courageous, self-reliant, and independent, who have in the face of adverse winds have kept one steady course upward, upward and onward in the paths of virtue and peace, have learned for themselves the will of God concerning them. This is our type of womanhood. Will you help us raise it up that you too may see its beautiful proportions? She is the temple to human rights, the artist worthy enough to crown magnificence like this must be godlike in his own conceptions, the woman, the crowning glory of the model republic among the nations of the earth. This was a great calling to women made by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and still is. And as I reread her words, it brought images and thoughts to my mind. And one of the first images, perhaps influenced by my trip to New York City not too long ago, was the image of a statue being crafted according to Stanton's requirements. And the statue that came to my mind's eye was, of course, the one on Bedloe's Island. And the thought that for the first time since 9-11, her crown will be open to the public again. The other concerned, Neda, a young Iranian woman who may or may not have ever heard of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and probably had only seen pictures of the Lady Liberty. But she has become an image of freedom to her own nation and a beacon for liberty for her own people and to the world beyond. She is that model of which Elizabeth Cady Stanton spoke. And she can lead us as Unitarian Universalists to a more open, just world. Salam, shalom, amen, and blessed be.